right on the front page in big bold letters. I don't authorize any forums. I have nothing to do with them. So don't expect me to authorize or say this is my forum. Doesn't happen. Forums are set up there so that everyone can go at each other with ego and battles and opinions. And in the cyber wars, you haven't a clue who you're talking to. You haven't a clue. And they do have them out there looking for military agencies, going through all these chat rooms and dragging people down into the mud. I'll be back with more after this falling break. and war 
for economic wars, economic resources. And it also tells you the arrogance, if you listen to the wording of it, of how the elite. This was written by people who were up there. What they think of you, the profane, as they call you, those in the darkness, those who never know reality. It says here, we have entered an age of constant conflict. You've heard that now, constant conflict. This has been taught in all military academies. It has been for a few years. This is 1997. Information is at once our core commodity and the most destabilizing factor of our time. Until now, history has been a quest to acquire information. Today, the challenge lies in managing information. Managing information, remember. It's managed. Those of us who can sort, digest, synthesize, and apply relevant knowledge soar professionally, financially, politically, militarily, and socially. We, the winners, are a minority. This is, this is by those at the top. This is also ties in, as I say, with the new American policy or the new, the, the new American century agenda and the project for a new American century which Pearl and Wolfowitz and all those characters at the top belong to. This is from the 90s. For the world masses, that's all of you out there, devastated by information, devastated by information, they cannot manage or effectively interpret. Life is nasty and brutish and short-circuited. General pace of change is overwhelming, and information is both the motor and signifier of change. Those humans in every country and region who cannot understand the new world or who cannot profit from its uncertainties or who cannot reconcile themselves to its dynamics will become the violent enemies of their inadequate governments or of their more fortunate neighbors and ultimately of the United States. We are entering a new American century in which we will become still wealthier now he's talking about his own higher class. Culturally more lethal. Culturally more lethal. Think about that. And increasingly powerful. We will excite hatreds without precedent. But we here in 2001, they hate us. Our targets hate us. Our targets, you see, hate us. Double speak. We live in an age of multiple truths. He who warns of the clash of civilizations is incontestably right. Simultaneously, we shall see higher levels of constructive trafficking between civilizations than ever before. The future is bright, and it's also very dark. More men and women will enjoy health and prosperity than ever before, yet more will live in poverty or tumult, if only because of the ferocity of demographics. There will be more democracy than they've been defined at that deft liberal form of imperialism and greater popular refusal of democracy. One of the defining bifurcations of the future will be the conflict between information masters and information victims. There's a war on for your mind, you see. In the past, information empowerment was largely a matter of insider and outsider as elementary, as a division of society into the literate and illiterate. While superior information often embodied in military technology killed throughout history. Its effects tended to be politically decisive, but not personally intrusive, once the raping and pillaging were done. 
technology was more apt to batter down city gates than to change the nature of the city. The rise of the modern West broke the pattern. Whether speaking of the dispossessions and dislocations caused in Europe through the introduction of machine-driven production or elsewhere by the great age of European imperialism, an explosion of disorienting information intruded even further into Brodel's structure of everyday life. Historically, ignorance was bliss. Today, ignorance is no longer possible, only error. The contemporary expansion of available information is immeasurable, uncontainable, and destructive to individuals and entire cultures unable to master it. What they're telling you here is that information is used as a weapon. The radical fundamentalists, the bomber in Jerusalem or Oklahoma City, the moral terrorist on the right, or the dictatorial multiculturalist on the left, are all brothers and sisters, all threatened by change, terrified of the future, and alienated by information they cannot reconcile with their lives or ambitions. They ache to return to a golden age that never existed, or to create a paradise of their own restrictive design. They no longer understand the world, and their fear is volatile. I'm showing you here how to put the people pegged. Information destroys traditional jobs and traditional cultures. It seduces, betrays, yet remains invulnerable. How can you counterattack the information others have turned upon you? There is no effective option other than competitive performance. For those individuals and cultures that cannot join or compete with our information empire, there's only inevitable failure. Of note, the Internet is to the techno-capable, disaffected what the United Nations is to marginal states. It offers the illusion of empowerment and community. The illusion. The attempt of the Iranian mullahs to secede from modernity has failed, although a turban corp still stumbles about the neighborhood. Information from the Internet to rock videos will not be contained, and fundamentalism cannot control its children. Our victims volunteer. Telling you that through information, they will also conquer the, 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 the giving of a corrupt culture, which they, they rule, will overtake the world. These non-competitive cultures, such as that of Arabo, Arabo, Persian, Islam, or the rejectionist segment of our own population, are enraged. Their cultures are under assault. Their cherished values have proven dysfunctional and a successful move on without them. The laid-off blue-collar worker in America and the Taliban militiamen in Afghanistan are brothers in suffering. It's a truism that throughout much of the 20th century, the income gap between top and bottom narrowed, whether we speak of individuals, countries, or in some cases, continents. Further, the individuals or countries could make it on sheer muscle power and the will to apply it. Could work harder than your neighbor and win in the marketplace. There was a rough justice in it and afford, it offered near ecumenical hope. That model is dead. Today there is a growing excess of muscle power, an age of labor-saving machines and methods. In our own country we have seen blue-collar unions move from center stage to near irrelevance. The trend will not reverse. At the same time, expectations have increased dramatically. There is a global sense of promises broken, of lies told. 
individuals on much of the planet believe they have played by the rules laid down for them in the breach they often have not but only to find that some indefinite power has changed those rules overnight try the banking system etc the American who graduated from school or high school in the 1960s expected a good job that would allow his family security and reasonable increasing prosperity for many such Americans the world has collapsed even as the media tease them with images of an ever richer brighter fun world from which they are excluded. These discarded citizens sense that their governments no longer about them, but only about the privileged. And we'll back with more from this article. Then I'll tell you later where it's from. And it's very, very important and interesting. See you in a minute.
an offence to God, and there must be a demonic answer, a substance of conspiracies, and oppression in which his own secular disappointing elite is complicit. This discarded foreigner's desire may be to attack the great Satan America, but America is far away for now. So he acts violently in his own neighborhood. He will accept no personal guilt for his failure, nor can he bear the possibility that his culture doesn't work. The blame lies ever elsewhere. The cult of victimization is becoming a universal phenomenon, and it is a source of dynamic hatreds. What they're telling you is how much they despise those who will not, as Darwin said, keep up and adapt in the survival of the fittest game, because remember, they believe in this. It is fashionable amongst American intellectuals, elites, to decry American culture with our domestic critics amongst the loudest in complaint, but traditional intellectual elites are of shrinking relevance, replaced by cognitive practical elites. Figures such as Bill Gates, Steven Spielberg, Madonna, or our most successful politicians, human beings who can recognize or create popular appetites, recreating themselves as necessary. Contemporary American culture is the most powerful in history and the most destructive of competitor cultures. While some other cultures, such as those of East Asia, appear strong enough to survive the onslaught by adaptive behaviors, there's your Darwin again, you see, most are not. The genius, the secret weapon of American culture is the essence that the elites despise. Ours is the first genuine people's culture. It stresses comfort and convenience, ease, and it generates pleasure for the masses. It generates pleasure for the masses. We are Karl Marx's dream and his nightmare. Secular and religious revolutionaries in our century have made the identical mistake, imagining that the makers or the workers of the world or the faithful just can't wait to go home at night to study Marx or the Koran. Well, Joe Sixpack, Ivan Dupichny, and Ali Kratt would rather Baywatch. America has figured it out, and we are brilliant at operationalizing our knowledge, and our cultural power will hinder even those cultures we do not undermine. There's no peer competitor in the culture or military department. Our culture empire has the addicted men and women everywhere clamoring for more, and they pay for the privilege of their disillusionment. American culture is criticized for its impermanence, its disposable products, but therein lies its strength. All previous cultures sought ideal achievement, which, once reached, might endure in static perfection. American culture is not about the end, but the means. The dynamic process that creates, destroys, and creates anew. If our works are transient, then so are life's greatest gifts, passion, beauty, the quality of light on a winter afternoon, and even life itself. American culture is alive. This vividness, this vitality is reflected in our military. We do not expect to achieve ultimate solutions, only constant improvement. All previous cultures, general and military, have sought to achieve an ideal form of life and then fixed it in cement. I'll be back with more about this agenda, which is in action right now, after this break. You're listening to the Republic Broadcasting Network because you can handle the truth.
you're cutting through the matrix. I'm reading an article. At the end, I'll tell you where it comes from. And it might not surprise you at this stage to tell you that every officer in the U.S. military has been taught this this content from right through the whole 1990s to do with what's happening today, why it's happening, and where it's going. Says ours is also the first culture that aims to include rather than exclude. I'm showing you how they're using it as a weapon. And I should also mention that back in the 1960s, early 70s, the Royal Institute of International Affairs, the Council on Foreign Relations had their big meeting in England to decide which culture industry would give the culture to the world. Now here they're telling you they're using it as a weapon, but first you see that they use it on their own people to break them and separate them. There's no opposition to government. Now it's to be used abroad using the same culture. The first culture that aims to include rather than exclude the films most despised by our intellectual elite, those that feature extreme violence and to the victors the spoils of sex are our most popular cultural weapon. Bought or bootlegged nearly everywhere. American action films, often in dreadful copies, are available from the upper Amazon to Mandalay. They are even more popular than our music because they're easier to understand for the foreigner. The action films of Stallone or Schwarzenegger or Chuck Norris rely on visual narratives that do not require dialogue for a basic understanding. The deal at the level of universal myth of pretext, celebrating the most fundamental impulses, although we have yet to produce a film as violent and cruel as the Iliad. They feature a hero, a villain, a woman to be defended or won, and violence and sex. Complain until doomsday itself. The enduring popularity abroad of the shop-worn Rambo series tells us far more about humanity and does a library full of scholarly analysis. When we speak of a global information revolution, the effect of video images is more immediate and intense than that of computers. Image trumps text in the mass psyche, and your brain in your head fixes itself there. And computers remain a textual upgrowth, demanding high-order skills. Computers demarcate the domain of the privileged. We use technology to expand our wealth, power, and opportunities. Now, he's not talking about the general population here, remember. The rest get high on pop culture. This is the masses. If religion is the opium of the people, video is their crack cocaine. When we and they collide, they shock us with violence. But statistically, we win. As more and more human beings are overwhelmed by information or dispossessed by the effects of information-based technologies there will be more violence. This is, this is the fact that you're going to have no privacy. Information victims will also see no other resort. As work becomes more cerebral, those who fail to find a place will respond by rejecting reason. You will see countries and continents divide between rich and poor in a reversal of 20th century economic trends. Developing countries will not be able to depend on physical production industries because there will always be another country willing to work cheaper. The have-nots will hate and strive to attack the haves. You're talking about 30, 40 years war. Remember, I've read these articles before from the Department of Defense. And I'm filling in little places here for you in between that to show you why it's happening, or why it's going to happen. And we in the United States will continue to be perceived as the ultimate haves. 
perceived mere perception, not reality. States will struggle for advantage or revenge as their societies boil. Traditional crime terrorism will be the most common form of violence, but transnational criminality, civil strife, secessions, border conflicts, and conventional wars will continue to plague the world, albeit with the lesser conflict statistically dominant. In defense of its interests, its citizens, its allies, or its clients, the United States will be required to intervene in some of these contests, become contests. We will win militarily whenever we have the guts for it. There will be no peace. There will be no peace. Remember that phrase, a hundred years war. At any given moment, for the rest of our lifetimes, there will be multiple conflicts in mutating forms around the globe. Violent conflicts will dominate the headlines, but cultural and economic struggles will be steadier and ultimately more decisive. What we're hearing right now, banks going under. The de facto role of the U.S. armed forces will be to keep the world, not the U.S., but the world. So it's international. Your military is international. The world safe for our economy, that's the elites, and open to our cultural assault. To those, do you hear that part too? Open to our cultural assault. They're assaulting the other nations with the culture. If you don't accept it, you die. To those ends, we will do a fair amount of killing. We are building an information-based military to do that killing. I'll, I'll repeat that for the hard of thinking. We are building an information-based military to do that killing. There will still be plenty of muscle power required, but much of our military art will consist in knowing more about the enemy than he knows about himself or what's happening right home in all, your, all the countries of the West. Data collection about you. All information collection is about you. Manipulating data for effectiveness and efficiency and denying similar advantages to our opponents. This will involve a good bit of technology, but the relevant systems will not be the budget vampires, such as manned bombers and attack submarines that we continue to buy through inertia, emotional attachment, and the lobbying power of the defense industry. Our most important technologies will be those that support soldiers and marines on the ground, that facilitate command decisions, and that enable us to kill accurately and survive amid clutter, such as multi-dimensional urban battlefields. Multi-dimensional urban battlefields. Last week I read about regiments coming home to the U.S. from Iraq, and now they're working alongside the police for urban warfare. The only imaginable use for most of our submarine fleet will be to strip out the weapons, dock them tight, and turn the boats into low-income housing. That's the little joke on the poor. There will be no justification for billion-dollar bombers at all. For a generation and probably much longer, we will face no military peer competitor. Our enemies will challenge us by other means. The violent actors we encounter often will be small, hostile parties possessed of unexpected, incisive capabilities or simply of a stunning will to violence, or both. Renegade elites, not foreign fleet should warriors. The urbanization of the global landscape is a greater threat to our operations than any extent or foreseeable military system. We will not deal with wars of real politic, but with conflicts spawned of collective emotions, substate interests, and systemic collapse. Hatred, jealousy, and greed, emotions rather than strategy, will set the terms of the struggles. Then it goes on and on and on to tell you about the wars will be economic wars. 
and how they're going to basically loot the planet to make sure their system survives. They'll loot the planet of all its resources, which again, I read the history of, starting with Britain in the 1500s and free trade, and then the Royal Institute of International Affairs, turning the world into a world of servants. You'll be a servant to the world state. Now this is from Parameters magazine for the military, summer 1997, pages 4 to 14. This is what they teach them in the military academies for officers. And before I go to the callers, there's one more article I'd like to read to you to show you how debased society has become. And for those who know a little bit about history, and there's not many who do today, for those even who can understand this part, if they've seen the movie uh, Braveheart, where he is hung, drawn, and quartered at the end, which is traditional torture and execution, a public execution done through the ages by the wonderful royalty of Britain and other royal families all related to them. The masses used to have, treat it like a fair. They sell beer and food, and the crowds would cheer and jeer. And that's what you get under a totalitarian system. The masses become utterly degraded. And this follows on from that article I've just read from the top and how they see the public, the general public, how they perceive them as the masses. And they're so confident we'll act the way we're meant to act. This is from Britain. And it shows you how far the culture has been plummeting and no wonder they've had years and years of basically recessions and depressions in Britain. And they feel pretty hopeless. And the worst base instincts come to the surface. A society that has no hope. They're sarcastic and they tend to even hate each other. It's from the Telegraph Media Group. <clears throat> I think it's today, in fact. It's October the 1st, 2008. Suicide teenager urged to jump by being crowd. A teenager jumped to his death after being egged on by a group of onlookers who were taking photographs and filming the tragedy on their mobile phones. By Nick Britton. Says here, Sean Dykes, 17, plunged from the top of a city centre car park after police negotiators spent three hours trying to talk him down. A 300-strong crowd of, had gathered underneath with a few shouting abuse at him and urging him to jump. One teenager even yelled, How far can you bounce? Eventually, Sean left 60 feet onto the pavement below, dying instantly. Police said none of those who were shouting at him were actually committing an offence. No, the mob, you see, the profane mob, don't commit an offence. They do what they're expected to do in a debased society. You see, their culture was under attack, too, for a long time. You must debase your own cultures and dominate the people completely before you can use them as cannon fodder to dominate others. That's from the last article. It says here, Superintendent, Superintendent Andy Hall of Derbyshire Police said it was a disturbing and shocking reflection on society when people feel inclined to do that. Then it goes on about the rest of how it all happened. And you get your usual, tut, tut, that's nasty and awful, etc., from prominent figures of the town. 
same things. Bread and circuses, you see, you've fed bread and circuses to the public for years, and now you have the debased culture that emulates that, which they're indoctrinated with. Expect more of this. One day, they'll be gathering at your door when the cops are smashing it down or putting holes through it with bullets, and they'll be cheering them on. Sad comment, but true. Now, I'll go to the phones now, and we've got Tom from Pennsylvania. Are you there, Tom? Alan? Yes. Yeah, uh, I've got a question for you about the Pizzo family. I've been doing some research uh, that, about... Uh, the family um, a couple of thousand years ago, and I'm coming into some information that they're actually responsible for the uh, creation of the, uh, the New Church. Testament. No, they were not the ones who were responsible. They were one of many families who financed the churches into being, but they definitely were big, um, wealthy tycoons back then. Uh, and they were, they were basically doing the same work as the foundations do today, promoting that which could be of use to them. Now these uh, now this particular time period was what uh, more or less full of um, um, Gnostics and uh, Jews and other uh, types of religions at the time. And then what did they do? They just created a religion at that time out of uh, basically what was around them, so it would be familiar to the people. And then of course we have what we have today in the form of the Gospels and that. Well, they definitely used what was available to them, but it came in. Um, it, it always comes under you cannot create a truth from anyone without it being plagiarized immediately and distorted by others and used for the, those who already rule and of course the tycoons and the merchants of that day already ruled and a religion which unfortunately could um, be promulgated to, for peace uh, you know, turn the other cheek was very very useful to these people and so they grabbed it right away um, and even before Constantine created the, the, or authorized it to be included within the Roman Empire's religions, even before that, there were powerful groups working on it to use it to their own advantage. But that would be the same with any truth in any era. Now, I had spoken to you once before about the um, combining of the New Testament with the Old Testament to give us the Bible of today. Uh, is that when that melding process occurred, roughly around the 15th, 16th century, or was it already happening before that? It was around the 15th, 16th century, and most historians will agree that was when a, a form of compromise was made because they were enforcing laws for the new world to come, and it was, they had to turn to the Old Testament for all the rules and regulations for the laws and uh, see what was acceptable, what was not acceptable. And they wanted also a judicial system to come out of it, a new type of judicial system um, that had a pretense of giving the person a chance to survive. Before that, if you were charged with any crime against the king, you were simply hung on the spot. And um, so they wanted to give us this, this new system, at least give a pretense of justice. Yeah. So people like Wycliffe and Tinsdale, they were basically uh, uh, persecuted and prosecuted uh, because they, they really could see through it and they really were for translating into the, the vernacular for the common man. You're, you're fine with, with Wendell. He was also front, he was, he was sort of goaded on by the nobility who wanted to take more power from the royalty itself. And, uh, and they were definitely behind him all the way. He, where he was a willing fool or what, I don't know. But he did, uh, he was heavily backed by the nobility of, of, uh, of Britain, 
as opposed to the actual royal aristocracy and all the families. Oh, you're referring to Tinsdale, right? Uh, another one. Wycliffe. Wycliffe. Wycliffe, yeah. Okay. All right. Well, I get some uh, insight now as to what, uh, what's been going on and how that developed. Well, hey, thank you for the info, Alan. Appreciate okay. it. Take all right. We'll see ya. And we've also got uh, Dale from Michigan. Are you there, Dale? Hello. Hello. Hi, Alan. Um, there was a little um, entertainment in the United States this week when John McCain was supposed to be on the David Letterman show. Um, he told uh, David Letterman that he couldn't make it because he had to go to Washington and sort out our economic problems. And when they were reporting on it, they, as a little aside, they said that uh, he was um, having an interview with, uh, I think it was Katie Couric, but he was also meeting with Lady Lynn de Brothschild. And... And if anybody knows anything, they should get on the Internet and look up our Federal Reserve System because it's privately held. It's not a part of our government, and those who own it are the Rothschilds. Uh, anything that says city group, city bank, city corp, national city, city anything, is owned by the Rothschilds. And uh, they are also, they bought Wachovia Bank, uh, took over its assets, and... Um, <laughs> it was just, uh, and um, another. Uh, hold on, and we'll come back after this break. Okay. Um, there's a really good video on the internet called Ring of Power, and it goes into um, the um, empire of the city. And uh, I can't vouch for all of it. It goes into like the uh, conspiratorial background of Jesus Christ and how it was, um, who it was supposed to be, and everything, and how. I they... know they've got an awful spin on everything. But yeah. that's the intent of it. Yeah. Yeah, but. Um, I also wanted to say, you had mentioned that when you read or you watch something, it's like it'll sink in later, um, a lot of the meaning. And I do the same thing. If I'm reading a book, I'll uh, start conjugating a thought while I'm reading, and I'll have read like 15 pages. (laughs) And it'll kind of sink in, but it won't, you know, consciously. But uh, the uh, time machine, um, the latest version, the 2002 version, uh, Jeremy Irons talks about the tendencies of human beings and that those that are underground that, yeah. that you know, survived in the caverns under the earth um, are predators mm-hmm. and that he controls the species above ground and below by mind control. Yeah. And that um, if, if he didn't control them, that within a matter of months they would consume the um, entire food supply, which are the the humans on the surface. But um, I'm always looking for more information on symbolism, and I've bought all kinds of books, and sometimes dream symbology also helps you out. Um, I had a dream when I was a kid 
about um, cannibals that came up from the underworld that would take people below and chop them up into like a human salad and feed on them. And I kept having this dream until I finally followed them underground and killed them. And then it was like everybody came back to life and went up to the surface. But when you look up cannibalism, it stands for incest, which is what these people are into. I mean, completely. It's also Cain and Abel. Cain destroys Abel and you have cannibal, you see. Yeah, and um, I thought it was uh, really interesting in Melchizedek in the Mystery of Fire, Manly Hall says that the, the Freemasons are not really Freemasons, they're Fermaison, which is Brotherhood of the Sun, and, the that, yeah, yeah. and that they are the offspring of Cain, and that they are rapacious. I mean, you know, he says this. <laughs> well, that's you know, it, with pride. It, you, you, you'd, understand, you'd understand that... that uh, Freemasonry teaches them as they got the ladder that it's their right and duty to prey upon the profane masses. Yeah. 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 And and you wonder what it is that makes us profane. (laughs) I know. If you look at the military, just look at the military emblems, watch them marching, how they square up and all the rest of it. They're a purely Freemasonic institution and how they salute, you know, the sol, you're actually saluting the sun. You're actually putting the hand over the one eye. That's the eye of Ra. Everything in the military is Freemasonic. You start every journey from ancient Egypt to the day. You look at the, the stellas with the left, by the left foot forward. That's how it starts, the long, long march. So the cult, the cult is all around you at all times, and the public see it not. And yeah. these guys run your entire system from the top to the bottom and give you rituals on television every day. But that's the music for the end of the night. And from Hamish and myself up in Interior Canada, it's good night to me, your God or your gods go with you.